So Matthew chapter 12, verse 22 is where we're going to start out this morning. Uh, and uh, beginning there, it says, Then was brought unto him one possessed with the devil, blind and dumb, and he healed him insomuch that the blind and dumb both spake and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Is, this, is not this the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of devils. And Jesus knew their thoughts and said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How shall then his kingdom stand? And if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is coming to you. Or else how can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house? He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not not with me scattereth abroad. Wherefore, I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And whosoever speaketh the word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in in the world to come. And I want to stop right there. That's the 32nd verse, 22nd verse, down through the 32nd verse of the 12th chapter of the book of Matthew. And, uh, and as, we, uh, as we take this up, uh, I'd like to use for a title this morning, or attempt to use for a title, um, The Unpardonable Sin. Uh, the Unpardonable Sin. And uh, and so we we have this interaction here, and we've been going through the book of Matthew, and uh, and we've been making a notice of all the miracles that Jesus has been doing, uh, and, and we've been uh, documenting down through this uh, the the interactions uh, between the Pharisees and Christ, and and pointing out the errors the the errors uh, that were uh, in the in the argument that contained in the Pharisees, and Jesus is really going to bring this argument into you know, full perspective here in this 12th chapter of Matthew. And so it starts out with, uh, with one who's brought uh, to Jesus, and the Bible tells us that this person was blind and dumb. Now, now what that word means is not generally how we use the word dumb today. What it means is he was mute. He couldn't speak. So here you have a person who's blind and he can't talk. And, and so if you think about it in the perspective of the world that he was in at the time, his, this is a man who is wholly reliant on everybody around him. He cannot see where he's going. He cannot speak up for himself if he has a need. He has got to have somebody that will take care of him at all times. He can't fend for himself. This is a really uh, interesting thing. 
So you have this man who can't fend for himself. He can't do anything for himself. And, and I believe if you really look at this man uh, who uh, Jesus is going to heal, uh, he's going to make him, uh, and the Bible says that he heals him in so much that the blind, um, he, that, that the blind and the dumb both spake and saw. I believe this man is a perfect analogy or a perfect example of somebody who's lost and does not know the Lord because they don't, he can't see and he certainly can't speak of the things of God, can he? Uh, but when Jesus healed him and when he cast out that devil, uh, which is what the Bible tells us that he was afflicted by, uh, he could both see and he could speak. And he could tell the miraculous things that God had done for him, couldn't he? And so when you get saved, it's not just your job to just start studying the Word. You should, because that's one of the attributes that Jesus pointed out uh, that His children would have uh, in His Sermon on the Mount when He said, You'll hunger and thirst after righteousness. Well, the only place that you're going to feel that hungering and that thirsting is by studying the Word of God. And, and you take that initial knowledge, which is the greatest knowledge you can have of God, uh, when you got saved. See, you could study the Bible your whole life and it would never make up for the lack of knowledge in that area. You see, all the study that we do in the Word of God is supplemental knowledge, isn't it? It helps us to be able to testify to a lost and dying world. To explain things that they might, uh, so that they might be able to understand the need that they have of God. Uh, but that initial knowledge of God, the fear of the Lord, uh, is is what comes upon us before we get wisdom, isn't it? The fear of the Lord is what we have before we have knowledge of the Lord, and we get that knowledge of the Lord, and so from there, that first knowledge. Uh, Brother Carter was introduced at a church. Uh, I believe it was down on Tennessee somewhere. And Brother Carter's been through seminary, almost a doctorate. Right? I'm still a long way away from that. I'm well, he's got his master's. He's got his master's in divinity. Is it divinity or theology? I, I'm just saying. I, I'm using this as a reference. I, I left there and went to and got my doctorate. I got my master's in counseling. There you go. Okay, so either way. He was introduced at a church one time that he went to preach at. And what and and the person introducing him was very well intended. He he wasn't meaning to say anything, you know, that was out of place, uh, but the answer that brother Carter gives is the one that really illustrates the point that I'm trying to make here. Because he was pointing out all the schooling and all the learning that Brother Carter had uh, in, in, in the course of uh, uh, in the course of his study, but Car Brother Carter got up in the pulpit and, and he kind of dismissed all that, and he said this: the most important knowledge you get is down on your knees when you're seeking the Lord. And so I don't dismiss the study of the Bible when I say it's supplemental. They work hand in hand one with another. But that initial knowledge of God that you get when you're seeking Him as a lost person, that is the knowledge. You, you have to have that knowledge. You can't get into heaven without that knowledge. That's what I mean by that. I, that some of the best 
people who can point out all the grammatical instances in the Bible, point out a lot of scriptural things in the Bible, such as the Pharisees, were never saved. The Pharisees were, had immense knowledge of Scripture, but they missed the forest for the trees. And so here in this instance, you have this deaf and, and, uh, and dumb man, or blah, 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 I can't say, this blind and dumb man, whom Jesus miraculously heals. And, and, and having him healed, the, the next verse of Scripture draws the ire of the Pharisees, doesn't it? Because this is what really they were afraid of with Jesus. They were afraid of losing their influence among the people. And so look in the next verse, in the 23rd verse, it says, And all the people were amazed. And you know what they started to do, don't you? And they started asking a question, and they said this, Is this not the son of David? In other words, they started, look, they started looking at Jesus, at the works that Jesus did, and they said, is this not the son of David? Is this not the Messiah? The Pharisees were saying that he wasn't, and they still said that he wasn't, even up until the day that he died and beyond. But the people were looking at what God was doing, and they said, is this not the son of David? See, here's the thing. If you're here and you're lost, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no way to the Father but through the Son. You can't get salvation any other way. It's not by works lest any man should boast. And so here, uh, the Pharisees, that, that, that undermines their whole position because their focus was on keeping the works of the law. To the nth degree. The Pharisees hear it. And they make an accusation. And this is what happens, isn't it? When you have a group of people like the Pharisees, who the only thing that matters to them is that you agree with them. See, if we go back to their their accusation or their accusing of Jesus when he would sit and eat with publicans and sinners... Jesus pointed out the fact, and I've done this, I've pointed this out for a couple weeks in a row now. They pointed out they took issue with John, even though he came fasting like they did, but they also took issue with Jesus, and he came eating and drinking. And they called John, they said that John has a devil, they said that Jesus was a drunkard and a, glut, a glutton and a wine-bibber, I should say. Uh, and so they, the only thing they had a problem with each of those men on was they rejected what they believed. They didn't agree with them. And so here, they see that Jesus is starting to win over the hearts of the people by these miraculous works that He's doing through, through the Spirit of God. Uh, and, they, and, they start to, uh, and they start making accusations, don't they? That's what happens when you have someone like that who believes that if the only thing that matters is that you agree with them. So they start making accusations. And they said the only way that He's able to do that is by the Spirit of of Beelzebub, the prince of devils. In other words, he couldn't cast out devils unless the devil was doing it. And that's the whole premise of their argument.
Jesus uh, is going to lay into this premise, and we're going to get down here to the we're going to get down here to the unpardonable sin in just a minute because he's going to build up to the unpardonable sin by attacking the accusation that they've met, that they've made against him. Now I want to point this out. I love the way Mark I love the way Mark puts this. Uh, assuming I can find it, here it is. Mark. Mark responds to this this way. Uh, In the accusation of Jesus casting out devils uh, by the power of Beelzebub or Satan. In the 23rd verse of, uh, of the third chapter of Mark, he records Jesus this way. How can Satan cast out Satan? There is a problem, isn't it? <laughs> There's a problem, isn't it? Uh, the way he pointed it out, uh, when I was studying this, in my mind, I could hear uh, some of those people starting to believe in Jesus because of the works Jesus did. I could hear them, after Jesus pointed this out, looking at him and in today's vernacular going, Oh no, he didn't. Yeah, he did. He pointed out the fallacy in their argument right at the off, didn't it? But now let's look at this uh, and let's see it goes even deeper than that. He attacks it from a nation from a nation standpoint in Matthew's account. Because remember, Matthew is arguing that Jesus Christ is the kingly Messiah that they've always been looking for, that they had been looking for. He's arguing that Jesus is that kingly Messiah, but the Pharisees are still arguing for a reconstituted national Israel. And so Jesus here is going to attack that very idea in this answer, in my opinion. This is what I'm seeing. Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. I believe he's talking directly to the Pharisees here. I know he is. And he's making reference of the kingdom that they have in mind versus the teachings and the ideologies that they believe. Every kingdom is brought to desolation, or every kingdom divided against itself is brought. This needs to be preached throughout this country. Because that's what we have going on here in this country, isn't it? I had a conversation with somebody this week, uh, and I explained them my position, and they said, oh, you're a Calvinist. And I asked the question, I said, well, can you be a Calvinist and disagree with him on three of his five points? He said, no, he said, he said our disagreement is that you're a Calvinist and I'm Arminian. And I said, well, and like I, said, I pointed out that with the Calvinist uh, argument, I agree with total depravity. I agree with perseverance of the saints. I disagree with unconditional election. I disagree with, uh, with, uh, with irresistible grace. I disagree with limited atonement. I believe Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. And he gave a commandment that all men everywhere were to repent. I believe that is to everybody, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. That's encompassing the whole world uh, and also uh, that his death on the cross was to secure their salvation. But it's not unconditional, is it? It's conditional. You have to come to the Lord on his terms and not on your own. He's the one who sets the terms. You have to... You have to For lack of a better word, you're the one who has to accept the terms. Then you have to seek him, don't you? 
So you can, you can decide. We were talking this morning. You can seek him on your own terms, but you're never going to find him on those terms, are you? You got to seek him on his terms, and he's going to, he's going to illustrate here, I believe, why that is. He goes even further. He says, every city and every house divided against itself shall not stand. Folks, we have a problem in this country, don't we? We have too many houses that are divided. Is everybody, is anybody familiar with the license plates that people put on the front of their car? And it's a house divided. And, and it's, and it's, and it's right through the middle, uh, diagonally. And on one side of the plate, it's Kentucky. On the other side of the plate, it's Louisville. And, and you know, the whole, the whole idea behind that license plate is our house basically argues every time these two teams play. At least that's what I hear. Uh, one, one, one person likes this and one person likes this. Folks, in a house, a household, a family is supposed to be built up upon the foundation of the Lord. And uh, and so I believe that's why uh, if you're here today uh, and you're a young adult, uh, I believe you should seek a spouse out of the family of the household of God. Now, I say that making this acknowledgement. If that were the way Amy were going to go about looking for a husband, I would have never been considered. But Amy did this. Amy issued an ultimatum. She came to me and she said, you're either going to go to church with me or we're done. (laughs) Guess what? She just said, this relationship is not going to proceed forth on your terms. These are the terms that this relationship is going to proceed forth. I had to decide whether or not I was going to accept those terms. I, I accepted them. <laughs> if, that's kind of self-explanatory, but for whoever may hear this sermon in the future, I accepted those terms. She's my wife now. She's the mother of my two daughters, and uh, I couldn't thank the Lord more. I, I mean, He gave her that. Uh, he put that on her heart. She gave that ultimatum to me. I went with her, and uh, it didn't take very long for me to get under conviction, and I hated going to church then. I've recounted this before. I hated going to church then, but man, once I got saved, I really enjoyed going to church. <laughs> Because it didn't scare me anymore. I enjoyed it. It's actually it's it's where I preferred to be. Uh, so much so that after giving that ultimatum that I go to church with her, she fussed at me because I stayed there too long talking afterward. <laughs> and I can say that because she's so sore she can't come up here and hit me today. <laughs> We got to do landscaping more often, is all I know. (laughs) And so Jesus asked the question, and this is, and Mark, Mark leaves out that first part, doesn't he? Mark leaves out the part where it talks about every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. Why does he say that? Because they rejected God from being king, didn't he? 
And then he says, every city and house is divided against itself shall not stand. Mark omits that. He goes straight to this verse. And if Satan, and if Satan cast out Satan, he's divided against himself. How shall his kingdom stand? It can't. And Satan's kingdom certainly won't stand. Now, folks, there's a verse of scripture that says this, uh, where where, where, where Jesus is talking to Peter, right? And he says to Peter, and I say that thou art Peter. And upon this rock, what was the rock? That Jesus said that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's the Christ. That's the rock. Uh, that's the rock that the, that the that's the foundation that the kingdom of God is built upon. And, and he said, and I say that thou art Peter, or Cephas, meaning a stone, a little stone. And it's upon this rock, a big stone, that the kingdom of God will be established. Now he makes a statement in that verse. And he says, And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Folks, if Satan be divided against Satan, how shall his kingdom stand? Folks, I want to tell you something right now. Uh, when he, Jesus says that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, you need to go and study Jericho, as we talked about. That doesn't mean arrows being lobbed in. That means an attack going out. Put yourself in the world at that time. It means that the that that the that God, if we go back to the vision that Daniel had, right? Uh, we go back to the uh, to the dream. I believe it was Nebuchadnezzar had of the statue uh, that had the the head and the arms and the shoulders that were of gold, arms and shoulders of silver, and it had a uh, an abdomen of brass, legs of iron, and feet of iron and clay. Uh, all of that was supposed to be broken by stone that was not hewed out, and that rock is Jesus Christ. And that rock was going to destroy all those other nations, and it did. But you know what? It didn't do it by sitting on its laurels in Jerusalem. It did it and it accomplished it when under the threat of persecution they were spread across all over everywhere in every direction. They went preaching Jesus Christ and then preaching salvation through Him and Him alone and they tore down all of those strongholds, didn't they? We've allowed some of those strongholds to be rebuilt. If I by Beelzebub cast out devils in the 27th verse, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. Here's the thing. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God. See, here's what the Pharisees were rejecting, wouldn't it? They are in the presence of the incarnate God. And He is working miracles by the Spirit of God. And just like many that came before them. They're sitting in the presence of God 
but rejecting him, aren't they? And so listen to this. He says, if by the Spirit of God, if by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come, is come unto you. Remember, my kingdom is not, my kingdom is not of this world. It's a spiritual kingdom. Uh, it's not got walls. Uh, the problem we have today is we put walls around the kingdom of God. I hear some people talk about how, how revivals used to work back in the old days, and we can't even do that here. These windows don't open, but they would open all the windows, and they'd prop the doors open, uh, and there'd be people outside of the church, out back of the church, inside the church was full, uh, and they would all be uh, they would all be trying to listen to what was going on inside, wouldn't they? And eventually somebody would go outside and start preaching. I've heard of instances of that happening. I mean, folks, we've got windows here that won't open. We've got doors that stay closed. Uh, folks, and we're not going to win the world that way, are we? As a matter of fact, the Christian world is retreating because of that. And the only thing that's even really giving it breath and life, if you want to be honest, there's worldly things. Uh, churches that turn services into entertainment. That's not a condemnation on them. That's actually a condemnation on those of us that won't open the doors and the windows and go out into all the world preaching and teaching and doing everything that Jesus has commanded us to do and furthermore teaching that and going on from there. But nevertheless, I digress. How can you enter into a strong man's house except you first... Except you first bind a strong man. You can't. Satan has to be defeated. Jesus is the only way you're going to do that. There's no neutrality. Here's the problem. Everybody, we're living in a day and an age where nobody wants anything that's determinant to be right and wrong. If you do that, you're going to be rejected. Kaylee just told me a really good, told a really good story in Sunday school class, and uh, and that is the paper that she wrote for her for her world religion class. She wrote it over Hindu gods, and uh, and she wrote it in such a way uh, to point out why they were wrong. She said her teacher really didn't like it, but she said her she couldn't poke a hole in her arguments. <laughs> she said. What was it that you said? It was it, that you're, they were too sound? Is that what they said? They, they said your arguments are too sound. Folks, we have got the sound religion. The religions that came before, uh, they were, those were religions where they worshipped stone and wood and hay and things like that. And it was, it was, it was the, it was at the, uh, the insistence of those that went out from Jerusalem in that day. And not just them, but those they taught afterward that led to all of that being done away with and declared how we study it today, mythology. Right? It's not true. It's a myth. So let's get to this unpardonable sin, and then we're going to close. He says this in the 31st verse, and we're going to close with the 31st, 32nd verse, and then and to touch on a couple other points, and then we'll be gone. Uh, Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men. That's a wonderful thing, isn't it? That 
Salvation has come not to the Jews alone, but to the Greek because all were under sin. And so here we see uh, that uh, uh, that Jesus has said all manner of sin and blasphemy. This is what the world can't understand because they look at certain sins and they say that's an unforgivable sin. That person may have murdered somebody. And you say that person can't be forgiven because they committed murder. Folks, Paul committed murder. He was consenting unto the death of Stephen. He went about persecuting the saints in the church of God. Folks, if that's true, David committed murder. If he can't be forgiven, then David's in hell. That's the argument that falls to a lot of these points here. Uh, these, these are all sins that in the eyes of God can be forgiven. Every sin can be forgiven except one, right? Now this is where the controversy comes in, isn't it? Uh-oh. Let's, uh oh. And this is where people usually will recoil and shy away and say, oh, we don't want to get into that, but we want to lean into that and address it this morning. Because the Pharisees are used as the example here, aren't they? Jesus' interaction is with the Pharisees, and he says, if by the Spirit of God, meaning the, the things that are being done here, the Spirit of God are accomplishing these things, you are resisting the Spirit of God, that kind of gives us an inkling, isn't it, uh, that they're in the presence of the Spirit of God. They might be getting a taste of the Spirit of God, but they don't know Him. They don't know Him. I'll give you some really good examples of it. Judas was a really good example. He sat with God. He ate with God. He did everything of, of, the, of the sort, yet John calls him a thief. And Jesus said, Have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? In reference to Judas. And Judas, having betrayed the Christ, he did not go to the Lord seeking forgiveness, even though, yes, he expressed remorse. He never went to the Lord and asked the Lord to forgive him. He went to the Pharisees to seek forgiveness, didn't he? Guess what, folks? The Pharisees were the enforcers of the law, and the law doesn't bring life. The law brings death. That's regardless of if it's laws that's passed today or whether it was the law that God gave on Mount Sinai. You cannot legislate morality. The law condemns immorality. This blasphemy against the Holy Ghost. Let's just go ahead and go to the. Let's go ahead and go over to the place where the where the where the issue lies. Hebrews chapter six. Hebrews chapter six starts out this way. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrines of Christ, let us go on unto perfection. So that right there tells you the aim of chapter six, right? And it's actually a continuation of chapter five because if you read back up at the end of chapter five, that's where uh, where uh, uh, the Hebrew writer is writing. I believe it's Paul, uh, but that's where uh, we'll say Paul because but we won't. We, don't want to, we do want to acknowledge that we don't know for certain. Verse 13, For everyone that useth the milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. Who is that? That's somebody who's just been saved, right? That person who was dumb uh, and, uh, and blind, uh, he was a babe in Christ when he got saved, wasn't he? We're not expected to remain babes our whole life. We're supposed to grow in grace and the knowledge of the truth. 
And, uh, and if I had to say there, if there's one area where we could improve, that'd be it. We need to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. Why? So that we can be saved again? No, you're only going to get saved one time. So that you can be a more effective witness and ambassador for Christ. Because our job is to win a lost world to Jesus Christ. This is where he says, Leaving those original principles and doctrines behind, let us go on unto perfection not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, i.e., getting saved. And of faith towards God. Repentance and faith. Right? How you get saved. Of the doctrine of baptisms and laying on of hands. Of the resurrection of the dead, of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permit. So here's the thing. If God permit, right? If God's willing, this is what we're going to do. And you say, well, geez, how do we know if God's willing? Well, if, it's, if he allows it to come to pass, you know he was willing it. <laughs> you know, he was willing to let it be, right? Now, we get into the crux of the issue here, of which the Pharisees are a perfect example. They're in the presence of God. God is working miracles through the Spirit of God in their presence. And they call him the devil. That's what it means. Listen here. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and having tasted the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost, they're there. <laughs> they're there. They're right there where the miracle's taking place, and instead of uh, yielding themselves over to the Holy Ghost uh, and, and, and being like the people, right, that we read about where they started to make the recognition that they believed Jesus was the son of David, meaning they believed Jesus was the Messiah, they refused. If you're here today and you're lost and you know that the Lord is dealing with you, here's the reason why you don't put it off. Because if you refuse the Holy Spirit, it may be the only chance you ever get. If you, pu if you push him away, if you say, I don't want me any of that, like I did many times, I'm just going to be honest with you, I was looking for a way out instead of looking for a way to get rid of it, meaning the burden that I had the condemnation that I had that came about by the conviction of the Holy Spirit, you refuse that first work of the Holy Spirit, which is conviction, hey, who's to say you're going to get another shot? Folks, I was fortunate that I got another shot. God didn't owe me anything more than that first time, did he? He didn't owe me any more than that first time. And, and so we see it here, uh, and, and we say it's impossible for those who were in, once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and made partakers of the Holy Ghost, and they have tasted the good word of God. They said under the teachings of God incarnate. And the powers of the world to come. They're witnesses, aren't they, of people getting saved. If they shall fall away, 
Now that's the thing, isn't it? Oh, if they shall fall away. This has to be talking about a, a, a saved person falling away. No, 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 no. This is talking about somebody who has come in contact with God and has rejected God. If they fall away, but they've been in the company of God, haven't they? They've been in the company of God. Um, I'll tell you this. I'll go this far. They may even gave a profession of faith. And you say, geez, I don't know about that. I wouldn't say it if I didn't believe I could prove it. We have a man recorded in Scripture by the name of Simon Magus. Simon the sorcerer. Philip, he went up into Samaria. He was preaching the gospel. And there was people in Samaria getting saved and they were having a great revival. And Simon Magus, who was considered to be somebody of very reputable, of, of reputation, I guess I should say. He was somebody who was considered to be some great person, and he certainly presented himself to be that. He saw his influence wane when Philip showed up and started preaching the gospel. Now the Bible says... The Bible says this in the 13th verse. It says, Then Simon himself believed also. Really? To the saving of the soul? I believe the fruit of the tree will be the one to testify to that, won't it? Whether it is good, it will produce good fruit. If it's evil, it will produce evil fruit. And you say, well, geez, I'm not sure, because it says in there that he believed. Well, it also says in the Bible that Saul, that God gave him a new heart. But I believe that heart was a heart of governance and not the heart they had before. It was the passion that was going to drive his life because that was what was the situation around it. Simon has seen Philip come into this place and... And it says that he has been, and he says he believed also. Philip baptized him, and he continued with Philip, and he wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Now, here's why I say this about Simon Magus, or Simon the sorcerer. The apostles are sent from Jerusalem up into Samaria to check out the work that Philip's done. They see that they hadn't received the Holy Ghost yet, and so they lay their hands on them. 17th verse, and they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money. He said, hey, I want to be able to do that. How much will it cost me? Folks, the gifts of God are without repentance, and they're also without price. Right? You cannot buy salvation. You cannot buy the power of God. It's not for sale. And so here he said, let me buy this from you. Peter is going to respond to him, and he's going to say this. But Peter said unto him, thy money perisheth with thee. Because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. 
Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent therefore of this thy wickedness, and pray God, perhaps the thought, uh, that if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven. For I perceive, listen, this is, this is what Peter says he perceives. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness. Remember what I said? He was some some great somebody, wouldn't he? He was some great. He was he was viewed as somebody who was very great. I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness. And here's the clincher, at least it is for me, and in the bond of iniquity. In other words, he's telling him. Uh, you haven't been saved. <laughs> uh, you don't have what you said you had. Now, for him to be saved, it would require, because he's already given a profession of faith, it would require of a necessity putting Christ to an open shame. Now, you think about this guy, and if you study this guy out in history, this guy later in life, this guy, Simon Magus, later in life, he goes back to Samaria after he goes to Rome. And when he comes back to Samaria, he says, I'm the father in Samaria, I'm the son in Judea, and I'm the Holy Ghost in the rest of the world. Do you want to tell me that guy saved? I don't care what, is, what, it, what he says. Show me, show me what you believe. Folks, by your life, you will make a greater testimony than a multitude of words. And so here you have an instance of somebody who sat under inspired preaching, I believe. I believe Philip's preaching was inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. That's why they responded to it in Samaria the way that they did. But this guy is in it for personal reasons. <laughs> He's in it for personal reasons. He is considered the father of the agnostic religion. I don't think that that guy ever had what he said he had. You can you can we can disagree on this if you if you think he was, we can disagree on this, but I don't think he was. I don't think he ever had it. Don't think so. Uh, if you look at all of his life, I don't think so. If they shall fall away, meaning they've been with them, they've trod with them, right? They've tasted the heavenly gift. They were made partakers of the Holy Ghost. They've been in the presence of the Holy Ghost. They've tasted the good word of God. They've heard the preaching of, uh, of the word. Uh, and they've heard, uh, they've heard or experienced the powers of the world to come. Pharisees fall into this lot, being there in the presence of Jesus, to renew them again unto repentance. Right. Remember what we said in the first verse, laying aside the doctrine of repentance from dead works. Here he says to renew them again under repentance, seeing they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. For the earth which drinketh in the rain cometh oft upon it and bringeth forth herbs meat for them by whom it is dressed, received, receiveth the blessings from God. See, this person was never, ever saved to begin with because they refused the Holy Spirit. The blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is to resist the Holy Spirit's working. 
And so that's what the Pharisees did. That's the unpardonable sin, isn't it? The sin of unbelief. It says in there, Simon believed, but he never believed to the saving of the soul. He believed the operation in his eyes were telling him he refused the operation of the Holy Spirit. And so we see that, and that's what I believe that it's firmly telling us here, uh, because if you take all of the, th- all of the scriptures together uh, and you put them together, that's eventually what comes out in the wash, as they say. You can say something bad against Christ. You can say something bad against him. Now, if it, if it leads to a certain way of believing and you don't believe that he is God incarnate, that's going to prevent you from getting saved too. But he says this, And whosoever speaketh the word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. Why? Because it was my blood that was spilled for the whole world. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. Why is that? Because the application of that blood is done by the Holy Ghost. When they applied the blood to the doorpost and the lintel of uh, uh, there in Egypt, the night that the death angel came through and took the firstborn throughout all the land of Egypt... I believe everywhere that that blood was on the doorpost and the lintel, the Holy Spirit was standing in the way, preventing entry. Preventing entry. They, had, they, had, they got saved there, didn't they? That's what you've got to have. You have to be born again, as, John, as, Jesus, told, uh, uh, as Jesus said in John chapter 3. Nicodemus, as Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. And that regeneration only comes about through the work of the Holy Spirit of God. You can get under conviction and you can make the choice not to seek the Lord. That's a very dangerous choice. Very dangerous choice. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord, today's the day to get that right. What are you going to do with that knowledge? Not the knowledge of what you've heard out of my mouth. The knowledge of what, the, what you are experiencing from the Holy Spirit of God. What's that knowledge telling you? Do you have peace? Or are you at comfort? That's the question, isn't it? Don't put that off. That's my message this morning. I, I pray that you got a blessing out of it. I pray that it was, uh, that it was uh, to the glory of God. Brother, Brother Williams, if you've got a song.